football frenzy. Hey, you hit me so hard down there. Presented by Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans. Call him now at 702-577-2600. The Football Frenzy on Cofield and Company. Breaking news just in, Willie. Uh-oh. There's actually another bowl game that just got added. I have no idea what the game is. I think it's in Texas. but it's Cofield and Company Bowl. What it means is that uh, there's 84 bowl-eligible teams, and now every single one of them will have a bowl to play in. Uh, Brett McMurphy, who's now with one of the gambling sites, College Football Insider, says Hawaii will play Memphis. Hawaii at six and seven? Yeah, six and seven. Give me Memphis. We'll play Memphis in the Hawaii Bowl. I'll take Memphis. Oh, in the Hawaii Bowl? Do you think Hawaii will be distracted at the Hawaii Bowl? You sure you want to take Memphis? No, I just (laughs) don't. The school on vacation might be the one that may not be as focused as they need to be. No, I just don't. What do you think about playing games in your your home area? I think that game was they they knew that they could add a bowl game, and I think that they're that's all that was all fluff and marketing and TV and money and you know they're gonna get the the home crowd money. I I mean, you know, I got to look into this. Am I correct? Are they playing the Hawaii Bowl at Hawaii's makeshift seven thousand seat stadium? Oh, because that's, that's the picture question. they have up on the. Twitter. The Twitter handle. We don't have time to look for it. Crunch, crunch. We'll look for it during a break. All right, Antonio Brown in the news. So it turns out that as much as we tried to be nice a couple of weeks ago, I'm not sure if you were on that day, but you know, we find out that remember how the story came out. His another person he owes money to that apparently he stiffed. His chef, who's owed like 10k, told this whole story about hey, Antonio Brown asked for a fake vax oh, card. Yeah, I couldn't yeah. get it to him. Later on, he showed me the fake fax cards. Then he has his agent come out, and he's like, absolute lie, absolute fabrication. And news today, the NFL looked into it. The NFL is suspending Antonio Brown for three games. I didn't see fake fax card in the write-up. I'll double-check. But we heard misrepresented vaccination status. So he's now out three games. He was going to be out anyway because he's injured. He's probably going to miss two more games, but he serves three games. That is about 17, 18% of the season. Evander Kane got, what, 20 games for his fake fax card? So what do you make of this? How many did Aaron Rodgers get? I, I, wanna, I want the NFL is it PA. Is, I want my union different? rep on the phone. Is it, yeah, is it different? Yes. It's, no, it's not different. The only thing that they're going to say that's different is that, well, here's what he said and the nfl was under the impression they knew all along and so on so but the bottom line was we're gonna we're gonna mince words here immunization versus vaccinated and well we knew what he was doing but he did did they do as a thorough investigation on aaron Rodgers? aaron Rodgers lied didn't he i mean he fibbed to the media i don't know if or, I have no. I have, tweak the words. I have no idea what he did in terms of handing in a vax card for the Packers to give to the league. And let me clarify that I am not defending Antonio Brown, but they can afford to suspend Antonio Brown. The NFL does not want to get into a political conversation, which people tend to make COVID and vax cards and getting vaccinated in this pandemic into by suspending a potential MVP and someone who arguably is one of, if not the face of the league. I mean, 
right? So we're not going to suspend Aaron Rodgers. And again, I'm not saying that Antonio Brown didn't deserve this, but fair is fair. And that's one question I would be asking just because of the way that they were, the vernacular that was used. Seems a little crazy fishy to me. I don't know. Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans brings you the football frenzy. Dial 702-577-2600 now. Home prices have never been higher and interest rates have never been lower. Get your mortgage tune-up today by calling 577-2600. Hanging at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver 7s, it's Cofield and Company. What a Thursday to check in with Michael Felder. Add in the bleachers, stadium college football expert, as uh, we're just a few hours removed from the big news at Notre Dame. They didn't have a long, drawn-out search. They just turned to the staff, and the guy that people were raving about was highly coveted. Marcus Freeman is going to be the Notre Dame head coach. What do you think? Young guy. Everybody loves him. Whole team loves him. All the recruits love him. Uh, the younger boosters are, are big fans of him, so I'm very curious to see what this looks like going forward. This is a team that uh, they got some new blood in there, right? It, it's one of those things where – it's not quite to the Mark Rick at Georgia level, but getting some energy in there felt like was something that was needed with Brian Kelly. They got close. They got close. They couldn't get over the hump, and maybe he's the guy that gets them over the hump. Um, the scary thing is it's his first head coaching job, and it's a this is a doozy to be your first one, so we'll see what happens. Is Brian Kelly, all that has been uh, reported, is he just an absolute jerk? Yeah, I mean, we've, we've watched the way he left Cincinnati. We watched the way he left Notre Dame, obviously. And I, I, like, I guess I think about this a lot as a former player is if you spent, you know, countless hours trying to court me to come to school and tell me that we're family and tell me how much this means to me and how much I mean to you, but you can only spend 10 minutes to tell me why you're going somewhere else and why apparently this isn't enough for you, that just to me is like, okay, got it, cool, okay. Yeah. But it'll be interesting to see what he does at LSU because – you can talk family all you want, but those dudes at LA, Louisiana, that's a that's family, like for real. Like they sit down at a table and they break bread. Like it's it's gonna be interesting to see how he fits in down there because it's a different beast. And I do think he is a coaching upgrade from Ed Orgeron. I think there's that's there's no there's no doubt about that. But does he elevate this program past Alabama, past AM, past Auburn, past Georgia on the other side? Can he do it? before Billy Napier does it at Florida. And so there's a lot of can he, can he, can he. It's going to be interesting to see how this shakes out. I can't wait to see the first coach piss and moan this year about the transfer portal, about kids and no loyalty. Yeah. Please do not do that. Please don't. Yep. You're going to get destroyed if you do it. Yeah, read the room, man. Uh, <laughs> nobody, nobody. <laughs> loyalty is not a commodity that the sport trades in, and it starts from the top down for, with the head coaches. And so – it's it's a tough situation, and and everybody thinks about this. And it, it, I got really frustrated this week, Steve, because everybody was talking about it's the craziest time. It's this is what makes college football great. It's so fun, and I was like, you clearly are people that are so far removed that you don't know players. You've never known players. You've never been players. It's terrifying when your coach leaves. It is terrifying, and especially look. I don't care if you're if you're Spencer Rattler, you're going to find a good home. But I think about all those guys that have got like what, half a degree or one third of a, or two, excuse me, one half a degree, two thirds of a degree, three quarters of a degree done. Yep. They can't leave. You have to stay at that school to get your degree done. Otherwise, you're going to end up being a sophomore wherever you transfer and you've got it. So you have to stay at that school and then you get a new coach. And Lincoln Riley said it. He goes, it's really easy to turn the rosters over now. And I'm like, oh, no, this yep. guy's going to. 
he's going to kick yep. me out or he's going to bury me on the bench. He's going to try to make me quit. And I throw this back to, goodness, going all the way back to 2005. When Spurrier got the South Carolina job, there were rumors that he would he, he might be in the running for the UNC job. We ended up firing our coach the next year, but there were rumors that Spurrier might take the UNC job in 05 if we got rid of Coach Bunny. And literally all of us were sitting around going, oh, man. He, they were like, he's going to, he's going to, he's, we're all going to get, we're all going to get cut. We're all going to get cut. And so there's a real fear in that locker room of what happens next when you're not the, the, the new coach's guys. This is an upgrade for USC. Does it prove, it's a clear upgrade, does it prove that USC is a good job or is it the flip side? They had to pay so much to get this guy that maybe it's not a great job. I think it's a combination of the two, right? It proves that they do have the money. We all question if they had the money for a lot, for a while based upon their hiring practices, right? Like Sark was pretty cheap. Uh, Clay Helton was even cheaper. And I was like, do they not have any money? And then when we saw their facilities upgrades and I was like, oh, they only have half a field. And it was one of those things where we're like, do they have money? So they, they flex that they, yeah, we got money. And then the other part of it is, is yeah, it's still, it's still, a, it's a job that, um, that people want because it's a job that I, I don't know if perception is reality, but they, they perceive the Pac-12 as being easier to win or an easier path to the playoff. And it's the let's be real, it's the premier program west of Texas. And I think that's a big that's a big thing to note. So, yeah, I think it's I think it's a, still a good job. I think it's a job that's in a state of disrepair. But I will say this: the one of the things Cofield that I do love is this is the first time they've made a clear break from Pete Carroll, a clear break. And I think that is important because for all the talk in college football about we're back or it's like the old times or we're going to be the like the old Miami. We're going to be like the old Texas. We're going to get – it's about building something new that you can live with. Alabama – when Nick Saban got to Alabama, he, he wasn't talking about we're going to be like back in the day with Bear Bryant. He was like, no, these are my systems. This is what I'm implementing. This is how we're going to win, and this is our tradition right now. I think that with Brent Pry, what he does at Virginia Tech is going to be interesting because – you can't talk about going back to the Frank Beamer days. What you have to talk about is establishing a new tradition, a new culture, a new way to win and going out and doing it. And I think that that's going to be really important. I think Lincoln Riley demonstrates a very clear break from Pete Carroll as they tried to hold on to it with the previous three coaches that they had. Coaching moves affecting the Mountain West Conference. So, you know, Washington, there are rumors about Chip Kelly, maybe get Tom Herman with all that money, get him up to Washington. They, I'll say settle on Kalen DeBoer. I think he's a good coach. I don't know that he's completely proven. I also, he's not exactly a rock star from a personality standpoint. He is a football coach, but maybe that's what they need. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think, like, who's their, who's their last rock star head coach? Coach Pete certainly wasn't a rock star head coach, right? Yeah. So I, I think that they just need a football coach. The question is going to be, where, where do his recruits come from and how does he dive in there? And I think that's going to be the key. There's a lot of talent in the Pacific Northwest. It's about keeping those guys at home, not letting them go to whether it's Notre Dame or USC or Oregon, obviously, is going to be your main your main point of, point of battle. So for DeBoer, I, I think that he's a good football coach. I think that this makes their offense instantly more competent than they have been in the last couple seasons. And I think the next step for them is going to be figuring out how to shore up the defense or to keep the defense stout. And as you mentioned, he's not a super big personality, but I think when you're at Washington, you don't have to be. You don't have to be a big personality. All they want to do is win football games. That's it. And I think that's one of the things I really love about Washington, right, is there's not a lot of flash with them. They are a foot to, to be a team that's rivals with Oregon, right? They're cross state lines from Oregon to be a team where Oregon is so much flash, so much dash. And yet 
they are, listen, we do our work and we show up and we do our job and then we go home. Like it's, I think he fits right into that. Obviously we saw that Jake Hayner entered the transfer portal as mm -hmm. well. If he goes back to Washington, that would be <laughs> truly, truly poetic and hilarious in my eyes. Yeah. Uh, Fresno had a, a burner named Jalen Cropper too, who was a big recruit who, uh, Fresno beat out for uh, beat out Nebraska for, so he's in the transfer yep. portal, so he could pop up there too. Last one on the Mountain West Conference, really weird hire in the first place. It only lasts now basically a year and a half. Steve Adazio had a terrible reputation. Out of nowhere, CSU picks him. Tony Alford is a former running back at Colorado State. He's been at Notre Dame. He's been now he's at Ohio State. Like that was the easy hire last time around. I hope yeah. they do it this time. But uh, CSU just egg all over their face. Adazio was a disaster. Yeah, it was a disaster and. I mean, I don't know. I don't even understand how he was a fit to begin with. So yeah. it, it's, <laughs> it's, it it's so weird. You got to be careful on these these regional deals. All right, let's, let's start breaking down some games here. Um, from a betting standpoint, there are obvious plays, which means that I'm scared as hell to bet them. But Alabama, to me, getting this many points against Georgia is the play. And a lot of the reason I lean on this is because you've been telling me from the beginning of the season that Georgia is really good, but Kirby Smart is so damn conservative so is that going to rear its ugly head in this spot? And Georgia, you know, can't blow them out, can't handle this easily. That's the whole point. For That's the thing that I'm worried about. What Georgia should do is try to score 45 points and run Stetson Bennett and find ways to get to stretch the ball down the field and put um, uh, Helms and put battle and conflict and cause problems. That's what they should do. What are they going to do? I think they might try to win this game 17 to 10. Mm -hmm. And that's scary. Because if you try to win a game 17 to 10, you know who's really comfortable with that? Nick Saban. And you know who doesn't lose games that he's comfortable with? Nick Saban. And that's the <laughs> scary part. So we'll see. It depends. If Georgia comes out, pedal to the metal offensively, then they've got an opportunity to really blow this team out. I, I go back to last time Alabama got blown out was um, you could go to 2019 with LSU, but I thought that I, I thought the more distinct uh, element of that was Clemson in 2018 in the national championship game, right? Big game, big spot, not a regular season game. This is a big game, big spot, time to prepare. You know what you're doing. And they got blown out by Clemson, and they got blown out because Clemson challenged them consistently, offensively. The problem is Georgia doesn't have Trevor Lawrence, and they also don't have uh, they, they, you know, they don't have Justin Ross, and they don't have uh, T. Higgins, and they don't have um, they don't have those guys. And so, we'll see what that looks like. We'll see how aggressive Georgia is going to be offensively because I think that's what the way the game goes. If Georgia's aggressive offensively, they can blow out Alabama. If Georgia keeps Alabama in the game by willing to punt, you know, seven times, as long as it stays, if Georgia looks the way they looked against Clemson, they're in trouble. Bama loses this game by 14. Are they out of the CFP top four? They have to be. They ha if, I think if they lose the game, they have to be out. If they lose, they have to be out. I'm I, like, I'm sorry, <laughs> but if they lose, they have to be out. They have to be. It's troubling here in Vegas, though, because uh, Bama is very highly rated. So no matter if they lose a close game, then Alabama on the Vegas boards, power rankings is still a top four team. And then yep. a team like Okie State could be ahead of them. Um, another one that seems obvious to me but I'm pumping the brakes on, is letdown spot for Michigan. They're laying 11, so they're expected yeah. to handle Iowa pretty easily. I don't like Iowa's offense at all. Who does? No uh, but I could also – you know, I could see this being uh, a tight game, but I mean tight like 20-6. to six. Um, What do you think? Is Michigan going to roll in this one? I think Michigan has an opportunity. Like if, if Iowa – if Iowa had merely Wisconsin's offense, I think Iowa would win this football game. <laughs> wow. I, I think that Iowa – here's the thing. 
Ohio State is super talented athletically. They're incredibly gifted. They're also remarkably undisciplined. They were incredibly confused in the Michigan game. So there's there's two there's two issues here, right? So on one hand, Iowa is smarter, tougher, more disciplined as a football team. That that there's no doubt about that compared to Ohio State. So that already raises the the bar for what Michigan's going to have to do to win this game. On the other hand, and not on the other hand, but another side of that is Michigan did everything they could to beat Ohio State. Guess what Iowa has? The film of that game. We saw Michigan do a bunch of things they had never done before, and now Iowa gets to watch all of them. And so Iowa's not going to be surprised, confused, unsure. They know where they have to be. They know what they're supposed to do. They know all those things. And so it's going to be interesting to see how that shakes out because Iowa's not going to – like. Ohio State was still tinkering with which linebackers should be in the game in the fourth quarter <laughs> because they didn't know what to do. Yeah. And I was not going to have that same problem. It'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. But for me, I just – I think it's a tighter game than most people expect. If Iowa can find a way to, whether it's a turnover or it's some sort of an explosive play from somewhere, from someone, then they have an opportunity to win this football game. Will Cincinnati crumble under the pressure against Houston? No, no pressure, no pressure. And I think they got a reprieve, right, with Luke with uh, with Freeman getting the Notre Dame job. They don't have to worry about Luke Fickle right now, so they got to be energized that their coach is going to be there for them. They don't have to worry about him leaving. They don't have to worry about rumors. Those that baby got put to bed on uh, Wednesday night, so they feel great. I think they're going to take care of business. The big key for me, though, this is the big spot for Desmond Ritter. Houston is really good at 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 at, at, at creating interceptions. They got their hands in passing lanes. They catch tip balls. They attack the football. They drive on the ball really well. That's why they have 14 interceptions on the season. That's why they're one of the what, top 25, top 30 in the country in interceptions. I think the key for them is going to – the key for Ritter is going to be do not turn this football over because if you turn the football over, you're going to be in a dogfight. If you're in a dogfight, you're going to be on the outside looking in. Mike, that was awesome. Have a good weekend, and we'll talk to you next week once all the uh, bowl games are set and we have the uh, Final Four ready to go. Sounds good. You guys take it easy. Michael Felder from Stadium, their college football insider, our college football insider. He also does podcasts for Learfield and uh, very entertaining up on Twitter at In the Bleachers. His spot today is brought to you by our friends over at Crazy Horse Three Gentlemen's Club. That's the home of the best pro football after party in town after the LVR game this weekend against football team. Walk right across the street. Your ticket gets you in free. Then there's hundreds of ladies on hand. The kitchen at Crazy Horse Three Gentlemen's Club is awesome. Happy hour drink specials following the game. And here's what we're going to do right now. Ari's going to do it. He's going to hook you up with VIP treatment at Crazy Horse Three. Call her 667-364-1100-364-1100. It's free entry for you and your buddies. You get a table and you get a bucket. Ari's going to hook you up, but you got to be caller 6 and 7 1100 it's Crazy Horse Three Gentlemen's Club, the place to party, the closest place to party right after our hometown pro football team is done taking care of Washington and Fox Sports Radio. We'll be on the scene. I'll be hosting the party starting at 4 o'clock. Come over, say hi. We'll have prizes. It's Crazy Horse Three Gentlemen's Club, the best after party in Las Vegas, following in the action right across the street at the Owl. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. I don't know. You know, those those are tough questions. You know, I'm a pretty honest guy and, and, and would, would tell you, but I, I think those, those are so hard to, you know, to answer relative to what I had done something different in, in that situation. And I, I really couldn't tell you, to be honest with you. 
Now, back to the William Hill Sportsbook Inside Silver 7s with Cofield and Company. Brian Kelly saying a lot of nothing, but uh, Ari liked the fact that he said he's an honest guy. Notre Dame picks a coach today. Marcus Freeman, they don't do a, a wide net, you know, big name coaching search. No Urban Meyer, no John Gruden, none of that. Marcus Freeman, 35 years old, former linebacker at Ohio State. Loved in his short stay at Notre Dame. Apparently a top-level recruiter, Tommy Reese. He's been recruited to stay around as the offensive guy. What do you think? I wonder, I don't know if I think this or I wonder this, um, if maybe they looked at it, hey, here's a guy who's put his time in with the program, knows the system, knows the players, and here is a job that he is going to appreciate and relish and not maybe you go search for that big name. You know, in Notre Dame, you, you how many times that's that's a school where you hear other coaches, you know, Bama, Ohio State, Notre Dame, U, USC. It's always been a dream job. But yet when something calls you, Brian Kelly, LSU, you bolt more money, you bolt. Whereas this guy, he may appreciate it. It's not a big name. It's staying within, and he's going to relish it and thrive and stay. Yeah, I still find the Brian Kelly exit, uh, the notion that people are shocked by it. He was there for 10-plus years, was he not? He was there for yeah, a while, yeah. People change jobs, man. Yeah. Just like Lincoln Riley, people change jobs. Maybe you want different circumstances. Um, I'm not saying I think like this. But I bet you every once in a while, people are like, you know what? I've kind of worn out my welcome with everyone at the stop. Maybe it's time for a fresh start. You're spinning with your Cause wheels. Because I, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying me. No. I'm saying I'm Brian Kelly. Right. I know my limitations that I can be a jerk, and about 10 years is my shelf life somewhere. So let me move on. But I agree with you. Marcus Freeman will not be looking to go elsewhere. I guess the only – because you, you, you do think about this ahead of time, and I assume ADs do. Uh, he's an Ohio State guy, so I would think the only job he would leave for would be Ohio, Ohio State. State. But, you know, he's just getting hired, so we don't need to think about if you can keep him. I'm sure he's getting good compensation. I haven't seen the number yet. It is interesting, though, the way you put that. He's put his time in with the program. This is actually a guy who just got to Notre Dame this year. Oh, this is his first year? He, he was the D.C. this year. There was big competition to get him. Okay. He was at Cincy as the D.C., Okay. For uh, three, four years, 2017 to 2020. Before that, Purdue for three years, Kent State, Ohio State as a grad assistant. That is an amazing rise to power. But before, everyone's like, oh, my God, this is kind of fast, isn't it? it sounds like Brandon Staley to me. Brandon, Brandon Staley was coaching at John Carroll like six years ago. Now he's a coach of the L.A. Chargers. So if doing you, if really you, well, if you got it and people see it, then you get the job. Yeah, that's the other and, thing. And being 35 sometimes, Willie, some people are ready at that age. I'm still not ready for anything significant. Wow, I mean, you kind of threw that was like a nice little <laughs> softball lob there. I don't know which way to go with it. I don't know whether to stick on Notre Dame or just Start kind of whack that one out of the play. Do it, man. Yeah. I lobbed a softball there for you. Well, you're a loyal guy. You're sticking around. You're here. You're not leaving anywhere. Oh, tomorrow, Steve Cofield leaves for bigger better things <laughs> espn affiliate in washington dc there you go probably not so the I, can i just say that yes. of all the times that i've been down here you know and we've been in front of this beautiful bar and and i've talked about this historic building that i used to hang out in way back in the day 
Um, if you're not coming down here and taking advantage of these specials tonight in what is going to be a fantastic football game, then I, especially the locals, get your ass down here. The this is so reminiscent, and it really is like this still. Silver Sevens has great food specials. Yeah. This is so reminiscent of what they used to do years ago yep. at the Continental when I first came here. Yep. So they've already got the 77 cent Bud, Bud Light, and Mick Ultra. Mm -hmm. Tonight they're adding 77 cent shots. That's insanity. They've got 77 cent hot dogs. And by the way, the special is in effect now. The, yeah. the, it's not until, hey, wait until the football game kicks off at 5 o'clock. They're doing it right now. So they've got a brand new Bud Light bar. They just reconfigured the whole thing. New signage. And they've got great specials. So come on down here. we got some cool prizes to give away as well. And um, I'll be here until halftime of the Cowboys and Saints game. So you got William Hill book right down the way. You can bet the game, bet it in game, and take advantage of the specials. It's fantastic. It's it's it reminds me of a true blue when I was, you know, when I was running the streets in this town, right? In the late eighties, early nineties. It reminds me of the true blue, the locals joint that takes care of the locals. And and there were a lot of establishments back there. And it that included the Continental. That uh you know that you just you just feel at home at to watch a game. You don't need, and the best part about it is you're not battling the strip and paying for parking. You're and easy access to get in and out of this place. It's it is just like it was, like I said back in the early '90s with the book, with the bar, with the specials, the drink specials, the the, the hot dogs. I mean, I remember that was a big deal, eating hot dogs at 9 in the morning, 7 in the morning, 8 in the morning, because they'd have the hot dog carts at different places. I mean, so you can't beat it. It's going to be a good game tonight. Cowboys, we're going to touch, touch on that, I'm sure, in a little bit. But, uh, yeah, so get down here because Steve's got some fantastic prize. He's got T-shirts. I wish I could stick around, but I have uh, some prior obligations. But, I mean, I'm enjoying the atmosphere. That's why I came down here, and I wanted to do this because you told me they were doing the grand opening, an official. So you got to get down here. Let's talk to our legal insider, Justin Watkins, next. Coming up next, ESPN Las Vegas legal analyst Justin Watkins joins Cofield & Company to break down the biggest legal stories in the world of sports. It's time for ESPN Las Vegas legal insider Justin Watkins to lay down the law. Only on Cofield & Company. All right, we got a bunch of legal stories to hit on a Thursday. Justin flexible enough to come on with us today. What's going on? You know, just a little bit worried about the, my Golden Knights, but uh, other than that, you know, a lot going on legally around here. Why are you worried about your Golden Knights? <laughs> well, a little bit concerned about the defense, but, uh, I mean, I think we're going to be okay. I, I say a big part of what we're seeing right now is really the true impact of William Carlson, that when you see him come back and how much, more improved our defense is you're going to see you know even though he doesn't show up exactly on the point sheet every night that he has a huge impact with the way he plays defense and the fact that he takes the first top line out of the opposing team were you breathing a little heavy were you a little uh anxious when you saw mark stone go down no, actually, I th I think, you know, to continue even a little bit, dig a little bit deeper on my prior point, I actually think the loss of Carlson may be more impactful than the loss of Stone. Well, 
but you saw Stone went out last night. Yeah. Yeah. So. But I yeah, get I mean, it. I don't, obviously, I, I, I don't totally want to lose it. both. But I, I, I certainly I think... get it. I, I certainly get it. Well, Carlson is a big loss. I just, you know, Anaheim has been playing so well, and I think, you know, the one thing that a lot of people forget is how long this season is, and um, I've continually referenced this on this show this season is that St. Louis run a few years ago when they were the worst team in the NHL not just the Western Conference, the entire NHL in January, switched goaltenders, and they made a run, and they won the Stanley Cup. So, you know, the Golden Knights are still not fully healthy, and when they do get healthy, like you said, when Carlson comes back and when they are 100% healthy, and the fact that Jack Eichel was skating today, reportedly, um, I, you know, I, it's, it's, I think that we're going to – I think I'm going to be busy, very busy. In May, in April and May, I think I'm going to be my, my calendar is going to be filled, you know, with uh, I'll be at T-Mobile while there'll be other NHL cities and AP reporters where they will not have to be filing NHL stories in those months. I agree with you. And, and I don't think there's any reportedly about it. I saw the video of Michael and he was wearing Golden Knight stuff. So it couldn't have been an old video, or it'd be a nope. weird old video if he was well, wearing gold night stuff. Reportedly, because I wasn't there, so I'm making sure that I just put that out there that it was a shared ah. video to to a certain, uh, you know, credentialed media member, and it, it looked like that. The fact of the matter is, is he wasn't supposed to be on skates this quick, and the and, and the fact that he was, it tells a lot because you know that was the whole thing with Buffalo was well, no one's ever gotten this done. There's no hockey player that's ever done this, you know. From a health standpoint, a legal standpoint, from this standpoint, from that standpoint, you know, they just didn't want to do it. They didn't want him to do it his way. They wanted it done their way, and that was the problem. Golden Knights had mm-hmm. no problem with it. So you've seen others, you know, a couple of other people chime in um, from other sports or just, you know, that had it, had it done. I believe there was an, uh, a UFC guy that, you know, Adam Hill had talked about that or talked to that had, had it done. Um, so they really couldn't – they said – well, he won't be on skates for this long, and then the recovery time is going to be X amount of time. But the fact that th- nobody really knew, the fact that he could get on skates just to skate around was, is impressive. And I agree. certainly a positive sign because I really want him in the game when Buffalo comes before they break for the Olympics in February. That would be a fun story to follow. <laughs> That's for sure. Uh, it'd be interesting to, you know, Buffalo travels well. There'd be a lot of their fans in here. I wonder what that would look like. Justin Watkins, Legal Insider, up with us. All right, let's get into a couple legal stories before I get you out of here. Five seven zero nine thousand is the number at Paddleborn Injury Lawyers. So first of all, um, I almost felt like you wanted to do this to me like three weeks ago at your studio when I was bringing in too many wires. Did you see the, the one-two sucker punches by this high school player in – Iowa, where he, uh, he's in the line, the uh, handshake line, belts a guy in the stomach, you know, drop your guard, and right in the face, knockout. Uh, now they're looking to charge him with a felony. He's 17 years old. Do you see anything wrong with that? I don't see anything wrong with it. I mean, you, you, you certainly – it's certainly outside the bounds of the game. The game was over. Um, you know, if we were down below, you know, in the middle of a basketball game and, and they're bumping and, and, and things – kind of get heated and get a little out of control and there's some punches thrown there, you know, I think you would have a tougher argument on pressing criminal charges and, and certainly pressing serious criminal charges of a felony. I mean, we see, we've seen 
punches thrown in the middle of basketball games before. But here, the game's completely over. There, it's clearly premeditated. There's no heat of the moment. And so, yeah, I think it's appropriate. Now, do I ultimately think he's going to be convicted of a felony? No, I don't. Uh, it'll, it'll, it'll be a, a plea misdemeanor assault, is my guess. Unless, unless, unless there's another part to this story about how seriously that kid's hurt, and if he's got some serious injuries resulting from it, then, then they might keep it in the, in the felony category for, uh, for the duration. Another story to hit here with Justin. Uh, headline, proposed Bentley's law would make drunk drivers pay child support if parent is killed. Is this possibly going to pass? What do you think of this? Well, uh, be careful anytime you see headlines of a bill that has been agreed to be introduced. So the bills that have not even been introduced yet in Missouri. So uh, I think it's important to debate the policy behind this uh, because it's it's interesting. It's a new twist on things. Um, but to, to think that it's anywhere close to passing yet, I think, is, is quite the stretch. Uh, so the idea behind it is is if, if a drunk driver kills a parent or it, it doesn't have to be both parents. It can just be one of the parents. Then they have to pay child and or spousal support to the surviving spouse or the children. Um, and the idea behind that is that will detour drunk driving. From my perspective, um, you know, if I'm a policymaker on this, I would want to know, you know, I would want to see statistics on the deterrence of drunk drivers and whether or not increased punishment has deterred drunk drivers from doing this. Number two, I'd want to know, what kind of impact this is going to have on our child support system? Is our child support system already overburdened and understaffed for people who, you know, it's actually their child that they're supposed to be supporting? Are we having problems with enforcement there? Do we have sufficient staff to do that? Um, because in this instance, you know, what, how, many, how, much, how many more logs are we going to add to the fire, and can we do it? So those would be some very preliminary questions I would want to know before I even considered weighing in on a position of whether or not I would support it. Obviously, nobody wants drunk drivers out there. Um, but I also don't want to burden a system that is designed to in- ensure that children of parents are supported even after a divorce. Justin Watkins with us here on Cofield and Company. All right, sad local story, very sad local story. Nathan Valencia, 20-year-old, uh, participating over at UNLV on a fight night for charity actually died a couple of days after the fight, uh, what, four days before his 21st birthday. What do you make of this? There's, it was ruled a homicide initially. No criminal charges will be filed. Uh, there certainly is going to be a lawsuit over this. Absolutely, there's going to be a lawsuit over it, yes. Um, obviously, it's a very sad story. Um, ruled a homicide, people hear that and they're like, oh, homicide, intentional killing. Um, this is the coroner's report as to the cause of death, and it was ruled homicide because in the coroner's definition, homicide is the killing of one human being by another. That's clearly what happened, um, but whether or not that's a criminal act in this situation, I agree in not pressing charges. I don't think it was a criminal act. It was a charity boxing match. Um, you know, whether or not it should have been, Appropriate and whether or not they should have boxed as untrained boxers and whether or not there should have been medical personnel there 
uh, and, and the circumstances under which they agreed to this, whether or not that should have ever happened, is, I think, a wholly different question, and that speaks to civil liability than the issue of criminal liability and criminality here. I, don't, I do not think that this was a criminal act, and it's, a, it's an unfortunate act, but I absolutely will, you will see civil lawsuits as a result of this, um, and they're going to dig into all those different things. You know, whoever sanctioned this, whoever was the event promoter, whoever was the organizer, did they take into account the safety of the participants? Um, and if they attempted to, did the people they hired from the outside, doctors or, um, you know, promoters, did they do their job? And so it's going to go on for some time, I do, I do believe. Another really sad local story. We had a woman uh, killed, Stephanie Turner, a 58-year-old. She was trying to cross the street on, uh, what, Sunday night, uh, electric mobility scooter. At a, I mean, this is a, it's a crazy intersection at LV Boulevard and Silverado Ranch. It's right down from the senior community where she lived. I mean, you're a lawmaker. Uh, you, you practice law. What, how do we fix this problem as our roads get you know more and more crowded and more and more dangerous? Well... Here's here's one kind of my pet peeves, and I know this intersection really well. I don't live too far away from this this area. Um, every legislative session, you know, there is some tragedy that's created on the roadways um, from one aspect or another, and somebody wants to create new signage associated with that. They want to create new warning devices that are associated with that. And frankly, what needs to happen is. We need to figure out and prioritize which warning signs and signals are the most important. And we have to put those at the top and the forefront, and those are the ones that exist on the roadway. And we need to take out some of the stuff we do, because the bottom line is, is all we continue to do is add more and more signage that the signage become ignored. Now, there is excellent crosswalk the new crosswalk signage that exists out there right now with these really bright fluorescent lights that, you know, almost strobe light when somebody's going across the crosswalk, you can see them down by UNLV. Yep. Uh, and those, you're seeing those come in around town. Those are excellent. Obviously, if we're doing a prioritization of risks and who are the most important to protect, pedestrians and crosswalks have to be number one. Number one above all signage. So, I absolutely believe that this needs to be prioritized, and they need to, that that kind of signage needs to be out there. But I also think that we do clutter up the roadways with too much signage, and we need to take out some of the lower prioritized signs out there, so that the, when they do see a sign, it means something to the driver. Uh, now, the reality is, I deal with car accidents every day. Why are car accidents happening? Is it because they're not reading the sign? It's because they're distracted, right? It's they're just, they're distracted. They're either on their phone, talking to somebody. Uh, or they're under the influence. That's that's what I see. Uh, last one, not so serious. Uh, just as a longtime Las Vegan, I don't know if you saw the story come out, and I still think we're being played by the A's. Uh, now the A's may be interested in just buying the property that the Trop is on, and the uh, the mock-up of the stadium, I don't know who did this, but the Photoshop is on, is unreal how big the stadium is in comparison to the, the area. But... Uh, what are your thoughts on a baseball stadium go, potentially going in at the corner of Trop and LV Boulevard? I mean, I think it would be, I think it'd be great. Obviously, I'm a, I'm a baseball fan, and so I would love to have a team here. Um, I did see an interesting angle recently, uh, and I believe it was in the RJ, that they sort of had this angle that 
the reason why the A's are being so aggressive on potentially purchasing land and had made some contingent offers is while they may still be able to be saved in Oakland, that MLB is really pushing them so that if the A's don't relocate, that an expansion team can be set up for success and, and can slide right into whatever position the A's were working towards. Um, and I think that's interesting. Um, I, I think that every, you know, I think the NBA, I think Major League Baseball are both looking at Vegas and saying, you know what, we think we could do well there too. Um, now, whether or not that's true or not, I don't know, but I think, I think the A's would probably do pretty good here. Uh, and I think expansion teams will do best here. Um, the, you know, Vegas craves its own identity. I think part of maybe the fact that you're already starting to see some, some empty seats in the Raiders games is, you know, you got people like me. Raiders aren't my team, probably won't ever be my team. But if there was an expansion Las Vegas football team, it would be my team. Justin, good spot. We appreciate your flexibility this week. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks, guys. There he is. Justin Watkins, Battleborn Injury Lawyers, our ESPN Las Vegas legal insider. 5709000 is the number. Call Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 702-570-9000 with your questions today.